We have been in the book of Revelation, and we last week we concluded chapter 6. We're going to go back and pick up the end of chapter 6. Now, one of the things I told you when we started is you need to look at the book of Revelation. You need to sort of lay it alongside the book of Exodus because in the book of Exodus we have God's people, and, and they're passing through a time of trouble, and God's going to deliver them to the, to the promised land. But in the process, in the process, he's going to pour out some judgments on the unbelieving world that's holding them prisoner before he can deliver them. And so we have a sort of a parallel, if you could say, between the two books. Not exactly, but you can think of it in that way. And we're going to watch and see how God delivers his people. You're going to see a picture of that today. So as we saw, we've seen so far, we saw... Uh, God's people are in trouble. The, the, the people that John's writing to, the Christians of his day, are enduring tribulation. He calls himself his, their companion in this tribulation. They're passing through a time of trouble. And so they need to know where, where, where is Jesus in our time of trouble. You ever wonder about that in your own time of trouble? And so God gave John a vision of Jesus walking in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. And those seven golden candlesticks were the churches as if to say, I'm right in your midst. I'm walking among you. And we've said that also applies to us. Not only did he walk among those churches then, but Jesus walks among us today. And then... Uh, before everything gets started, John sees a picture of God on his throne. They live in a troubled world. We live in a troubled world. We're broken people in a broken world. So are they. And they needed to know that God was still on his throne. And John has this vision of God on his throne. And then he sees God holding a scroll in his hand, sealed with seven seals. That scroll contains God's plan for the future. But there's nobody who can open the scroll. And then on the scene in chapter 5 comes the Lord Jesus himself. He's worthy to open the scroll. And then in chapter 6, he takes the scroll and he begins to open the seals. And one of the things that we looked at last week as we looked at chapter 6, we said this is not new. This has always been true. The events of history have always unfolded under the sovereignty of our God. And the events of the future in our world and in the lives of God's people from this point forward will always unfold under the sovereign authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. However frightening it may seem, it is under his authority. So when we come to the end of chapter 6, it looks like we've come to the very end of the world itself. I'm going to read you those verses from six, chapter 6, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. And then I want to show you the question that they ask at the end of those verses. And then I want to show you how chapter 7 answers that question. So we pick up in verse 15 of chapter 6 and we read, Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Who is going to be able to stand in the day of God's wrath? That's the question. Who's going to be able to stand in the day of God's judgment? Will you be able to stand 
in the day of God's wrath? Will you be okay in the day of God's judgment? That's one of the questions that we want to answer today. And that question is answered in the opening verses of chapter 7. And that's where we want to begin today. In chapter 7, I'm going to read the first three verses. They will be on the screen. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now the angels are holding, this is a picture, they're holding back the winds of judgment. Whatever was about to happen in chapter 6 is being restrained for one purpose, and that purpose is revealed in verse 3. It says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Now I'm going to give you an outline, and the title of the message, as you saw earlier, is The Sealed and the Saved. The Sealed and the Saved. I'm going to give you a very simple outline that will help you as you follow me through this chapter. And if you don't get it all when I give it in this one sentence, you'll see it as it unfolds. We're going to talk about, number one, who is sealed. Number two, why they are sealed. Number three, what this sealing makes them. And number four, where this sealing takes them. That simple outline is going to help you. So the first question, who is sealed? Well, according to verse 3, they are the servants of God. Who are these servants? That's the question. And you might think that the answer will be unfolded in the verses that follow. But what I would like to suggest to you, as I have suggested to you in the past, is the book of Revelation interprets itself if you will just let it, if you'll just follow its theme and follow its, its verses. And so I think it best to turn back to chapter 1, to the very beginning of the book. So I'd like you to look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And we, we're trying to identify who these servants are. And so in Revelation 1, 1, we read the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things which must soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. And so what does John begin to do as he gets this message? He sits down under the authority and instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he sends the message to God's servants. And who are the servants? The servants are the seven churches, the members of the seven churches that are in Asia. And to one of those churches... Jesus is greatly disturbed, the church at Thyatira. He's greatly disturbed because there's a woman there, a false teacher, and Jesus said she is, in, in Revelation 2.20, she is seducing my servants, my servants. So in the first three chapters, the, the word servants is a direct reference to those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm just saying... That to be consistent with the book itself, we assume these are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
As a matter of fact, if you look a little bit, we're going to look in the verses that follow, and we find this sealed multitude. If you look at chapter 14, the sealed multitude is described as though, this same multitude are described as those who are redeemed from the earth, as those who basically follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And of course, the Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's following the Lamb wherever he goes? Those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You and me, we are God's servants. Now, let's consider the second question. Why are they sealed? Well, first and obviously, they're sealed from protection against God's judgments that are about to be unleashed on the earth. Now, what kind of seal is this? Well, when you look at Revelation chapter 14, it tells us the kind of seal it is. It's not some kind of cryptic mark. It says very simply, it's the name of the Lamb on their foreheads and the name of God on their foreheads. Simply, it's a picture. It's a picture of being marked as belonging to God. It's a mark of ownership. You, when you are marked, when you are sealed with God's seal, you belong to Jesus. It's a wonderful picture. You belong to him. You are marked. You are protected. So a similar picture, by the way, is given in the book of Ezekiel. In, in, in Ezekiel chapter 9, God's people are given a mark of ownership. I want you to listen to this passage from Ezekiel. It comes from Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. You may never have read it. Ezekiel is one of those books that you say, well, I can't even read the first chapter. Why would I want to read chapter 9? But when you get to chapter 9, God says this, The Lord said, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others, he said in my hearing, Pass through the city after him, and strike, your eye shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young, women, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So obviously this is another picture of God's judgment about to fall. And the only people who are safe from God's judgment are who? Those who have God's mark. Those who are marked as belonging to God. Those who are sealed as belonging to God. Now there's the, here's the question now that you need to answer today, you personally. Do you bear God's mark, God's seal? Are you marked as one of his servants? Are you marked uh, for protection from his judgments? Are you marked for salvation as one of those who, who, who will be redeemed from the earth? In the book of Ezekiel, even being in God's sanctuary was not a safe place if you are not marked as belonging to God. Now, there's one other thing I would tell you, and, and this is I'm going to back this up with Scripture, and that is if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you already have this mark. Let me show it to you from what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 14, through 14. Paul said, in him, that is in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
and believed in him, when that happened, when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul uh, cautions us in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. So do you bear God's mark? Do you bear God's seal? Are you identified as belonging to him? Will you be able to stand in the day of judgment? Now let's look at verse 4 of chapter 7, verses 4 through 8. We're going to read those verses. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed. That's the number, 144,000. Sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 sealed. From the tribe of uh, Reuben, 12,000 sealed. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. 144,000 in all. Now, here's the next question. Or, or it's basically a statement. What? This sealing makes them. Now here's where we come to one of the places in the book of Revelation where some people part company in their interpretation of this book. Now I want to remind you that numbers in the book of Revelation have less to do with math and more to do with mystery. We recognize that obviously when we come to the number that we call the mark of the beast, 666, we understand that that number has nothing to do with literal 666 so much as it does what is the meaning of that mark? What does it mean? What does it represent? Now, some take this number literally and apply it to the, only the nation of Israel. They say, well, you know, this is 144,000 of the nation of Israel who are sealed and saved during the time of tribulation. But the Bible never says that. Did you read that in this verse? I didn't either. It's not in there. Now, I realize there may be some note in your Bible, or you may have re read that in some book, but it's really not here. So, uh, And some people say, well, the church is no longer in the world at this point, but we've not read that so far either, at least in this book. And so that's an assumption that people make, and if that's an assumption you make, I have a great respect for that, and I have a great respect for others who teach that. I, this week I started reading Dr. David Jeremiah's book, The Great Disappearance. And Dr. David Jeremiah and I don't agree on some things, but I have a great respect for Dr. David Jeremiah. He's a great preacher, but we see this a little differently. So if I follow my own advice and let the Scripture interpret Scripture, should I accept that these 144,000 are Jews? Well, if I do... Well, then I have to say that these are the only 144,000 who will be protected from God's judgment because they're on, the only ones who are sealed. And that would contradict what Paul said in Romans chapter 11 when he talks about the great influx of Gentiles and when the boat is loaded with Gentiles, then all Israel will be saved, not just some Israel will be saved. So let me just ask you, let me just pose this question. What if this number 
more about is less about math and more about mystery and what if it's symbolic what if it's a perfect picture of the entire people of God on earth during this time and so let me show you how scripture itself supports this view and so as I'm sharing this with you I'm sharing this with you to encourage you not to discourage you to show you that this is how really all the promises of God and I believe the Bible says all the promises of God are yes where in Christ Jesus they're all yes in him in other words all the promises of God can belong to me both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament it's not a question of whether or not I'm born a Jew it's a question of whether or not I'm born again isn't that what Jesus said to Nicodemus Nicodemus, who was a Jew, who was a ruler among the Jews, Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, according to Paul, there, there's one people of God, one people, not two peoples, there's one people of God. Ephesians chapter 1 or 2, verses 11 through 22. I'm going to read you some verses that you can mark down and you can read later, but let me just read you these verses. He said, therefore, in verse 11, therefore remember that at one time, at one time, this is time over here, we'll call it this time over here, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made with flesh by hands. Remember that at that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, that word commonwealth, I don't really understand really good. I understand we have some commonwealths in Virginia, a commonwealth. Kentucky's a commonwealth. I know the commonwealth of Kentucky, you can either be from Kentucky or not from Kentucky, but you're part of the commonwealth of Kentucky. You're not, you were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't from Israel, he said. You weren't a part. You didn't when you were over here. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. They didn't belong to you. You didn't have any hope, and you were without God in the world. But now you're moved in Christ Jesus. You who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is, is our peace. Those people who used to be over here and those people who are over here, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, there's one household built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus, in Christ, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure 
being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and you're built for a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Now, that's just one passage of Scripture. We're going to look at another one. This is from that great passage in Romans. When Paul starts, about it, starts out in Romans 10 or Romans 9, saying, uh, you know, I've got a concern for my brothers uh, in Christ. They, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He's talking about Israel according to the flesh. And then in chapter 10, he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And then he says how to be saved. In chapter 10, verse 8, in the middle of verse 8, he said, here's the word of faith which we are preaching. And if you're not saved today, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, this is how you can be saved. And if you're here today and you're a Jew, this is how you can be saved. Listen to it. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call on him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. According to Paul in chapter in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, when you come to faith in Christ, he says, you put on a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul wrote, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. One body. You see the emphasis, one. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man, male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you, you are Abraham's descendants. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.3, 3, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And let me give you one more. Galatians 3.7-9 Know then that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So that there was once when none of this belonged to you, none of the promises of the Old Testament, belong, they didn't belong to you. You couldn't say, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You couldn't say, Psalm 56.3, What time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. 
You couldn't say, he will make his angels, he will give his angels charge concerning you so that they will, they will bear you up in their hands so that you will not cast your foot again. You couldn't, none of those belong to you. But in Christ, they all belong to you. All the promises of God, the Old Testament promises and the New Testament promises belong to you. And so here's this sealed multitude. And so here they, they represent here. God's people, all of God's people, not some of God's people, all of God's people about to enter a very difficult time. They're about to pass through the wilderness. They're about to pass through the wilderness of tribulation as a group. But they're sealed. They have God's mark on them. They have the mark of God's ownership. They have the, God, the, the mark of God's protection. And they have God's preserving mark so that they're going to be okay regardless of what happens. Now, there are some things from which God's people are not sealed. And we know this by experience. They are not sealed from hunger. They are not sealed from thirst. They are not sealed from hardship. They are not sealed from suffering. They are not sealed from cancer. They are not sealed from diabetes. They are not sealed from COVID. They are not sealed from old age. They are not sealed from hurts or heartaches or a host of other ailments that are part of this life. They are not sealed from tears. They are not sealed from tribulation. They are not sealed from death. All of these things are very much a part of this life. In the end times, they will not be sealed from these things but they will be sealed as God's people. They will bear God's mark, God's mark of ownership and God's mark of protection. But the big question here is, do you bear God's mark? Now, so what do we see? We see God, God's judgments about to come on the earth, a terrible time. We see God saying, let's hold those back until I can make sure my people are all sealed. And they're all sealed. And then, what do we see? Look at verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice. What do you think they sing? They sing the hymn of heaven. Salvation to our God and glory to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Now, here's the last question and we're about to finish. Where this ceiling takes them. This, who are this multitude? Well, we've taken most of our time dealing with the seal multitude. They represent the one people of God marching through the great and terrible wilderness of life with all its trials and trouble. But then we see this other multitude. It's a, it's a great company of individuals. Individuals. 
individuals, not one unit, but many units, individuals from every tribe, including the tribes of Israel, every tongue and every people and every nation. And where are they? They are before the throne. They are in heaven. They are celebrating their deliverance from the wilderness. They didn't escape the wilderness of tribulation. They passed through it sealed and safe. Not only are they safe, they are saved from all that troubled them. Look at verse 15. For this reason... They are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the moment we sang about earlier when God wipes away all of our tears when we've passed through. And how do we pass through the wilderness of this life? We pass through it not as a group. We may be all sealed and all saved, but we gain deliverance one person at a time, at least through this period of time. One person at a time. Now there's a coming of time when God's going to catch up all of his people. All of them will be caught away. All of them at once caught away. But here, it's one at a time. One sufferer, one traveler at a time. Passing through their own periods of trials and tribulations. That's life. That's life now. That'll be life then. But the good news is God has comfort for us when we get home. You have a passage of this one people of God, sealed and safe. They are sealed, they are safe, they are saved. But here's the, here's the question today. Do you, do you bear God's mark? Are you sealed? Are you safe? Are you saved? Let's bow our heads.